Hello, this is Romp, a podcast with me, Murray, and each show I'll have a guest on to tell their tales of gay dating BG before Grinder. From coming out to dating and finding love in an age before the smartphone, we'll have stories of cottaging, cruising and clubbing. The best date, the worst date, the weirdest and the one that got away. Join us as we talk and laugh about shagging in the 60s, sex in the 70s and being naughty in the 90s. I don't know what we did in the 80s, I don't think anybody had sex in the 80s. This podcast contains adult themes, so those of a nervous disposition should turn off now. In today's podcast I'm talking to Ron. He's aged 79 and he's from Macclesfield in Cheshire, where he lived all of his life and 50 of those years he lived with his partner Alan, who he later married. And as we will hear, there were ways of getting sex in the 50s and 60s, despite their illegality and the persecution by the police. We'll hear stories of love, loss and coming out. And together we will hear about regrets, fear of HIV and joy of being a gay man from the 50s to today. I started off by asking him when he was born. I should have been born on the night of the Dunbusters raid. Wow. So if anybody can... Find that, then they know how old I am. Googling <laughs> as we speak. No, I don't know. That was because the last the last person died, didn't he? Just last week. That, yeah, you know Johnny Johnson. Yeah. I, I actually popped out a month early. Right, I'm, I'm always early for things, and that was me again. So hang on, then. We're so, so, so I don't know when it was early <laughs> early 1940s, was it? 1943. 1943. So you so actually you're 80 next year, and I'm still going to a gym four times a week. You, you you don't look like an uh, a nearly an octogenarian. That's the right one, isn't it? On here at all, yeah. you look very sprightly. Well, the doctor keeps telling me, he says, "Remember how old you are, and you're not 27 anymore." So yeah, <laughs> but up, up there in my head, I'm 27. Yeah. <laughs> so the early 40s, basically, you were then 50. So the 60s is your teenage years and yeah. early, early adulthood what yeah. what was it like what was life like in Macclesfield back then then um well starting at the sort of very very early uh, it, it it was shall we say rural yeah um, compared with life as i subsequently found out it was in in town in manchester um Macclesfield had had nothing like that initially but I think we, we we're chopping to the middle of the uh, of the story, really. I mean, when uh, through my early childhood, I you know the, when when you're at junior school and things like that, you know virtually nothing about. Mm. Well, in those days, never ever talked about sex, um, and the word gay was never mentioned. Uh, the first first inklings that I I, I knew, always knew that I was different. Okay. You for, know, for ever, a, always, ever, you know, like the, from the first thought kind of thing. Or yeah, yeah. From, I mean, you know, when, you, when you're very young, you, and then you, you you meet your cousins and your yeah. friends from roundabout, and then you, you start playing and occasionally play doctors and nurses or things like that. Been there, done know. that. Yep. And yeah, <laughs> and um, with me, it's always wanted to be doctors and doctors. <laughs> yes. So I knew I was different, and then of course when I was about eight or nine the Turing affair kicked off. Ah. And although I didn't know what was going on, it was in the newspapers, in the local news, and I heard these terms about men who went with men and were queer. 
Yeah. And, and was queer the term used back then? Is that because you know, we've reclaimed it today and we use it all the time? But was was queer a word then, or was oh, it? Oh yeah, it's, else? Uh, you, you queer pofters, shirtlifters, all sorts of yeah. terms like that were were being banded about. And I mean, I didn't really know what it was all about, but I knew from those reports that was oh, that was virtually my first sexual education. Yeah. That. Um, that there were things that men did with men, and I I actually started empathising with that. And how did you empathise with that when you said was it an outward you well, know towards I, other people? I couldn't demonstrate it because obviously from the court case it was it was illegal, hmm. and therefore I thought well I I can't do anything in this this way be, because it is illegal, and I just had to maintain a low profile. As they say in the military. So you're looking because um, this is like early nineteen, early fifties, isn't it? Early fifties, yeah. And it wasn't till um, 1967 that was any legalisation of anything. Yeah, when I was what 25. Wow. So uh, all through my um, after 11 plus, I moved to a an all male um, school, and of course, then you end up playing games and you end up in the showers and. Uh, <laughs> you know, you start sort of thinking, wow, wow, oh, hell, yes. Oh, yes. Com- comparing <laughs> each other and what you, yes. Yeah, yeah. If I was talking that only in the last podcast, I was talking to Colin about a very similar experience in the in the changing room showers. Yeah. And, um, you know, then I'm trying to hide what might be a natural reaction to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he called it a hard on. Yes, we can, uh, yeah, we can yeah, go okay. there. <laughs> Well, yeah, at one time I did, did have a nickname Everard. Did you? <laughs> My Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I got through um, school. In fact, the sexual education in, in schools at that time was non-existent. Mm. Um, I, I did O-level biology and still almost didn't know anything about sex at the end of it. It, it was just never raised as a topic human sex yeah. and certainly homosexuality was never mentioned at all there's no reference to it nobody spoke about it but you could dissect a frog a... you'd be all right with the frog oh you could pull dissect a frog yeah <laughs> that so, was it and, uh, so what was what were your, uh, your peers like at school at that time you know did they know did they recognize you as a as the homosexual as the gay or... no um because i suspect look looking back quite a few of them were as well yeah but um the, the regime at school um i think suppressed all of it whether they put bromide in the school milk or something i don't know but like they did in the army but, yeah um it, it never really raised its head so to speak. Although you know, since since school, I, um, I did I have realised that there were quite a few um, of my peer group who were were gay. If you look back at it and think, yeah, it was definitely him. Yeah. He was, yes, he was. <laughs> and was it you know was that frowned upon? Because you know, my schooling was a bit later. I'm the eighties, and it was there was a backlash because of AIDS and HIV, and gays mm. were the dirtiest thing in the world. So there was a backlash, but. Was homosexuality, even though it wasn't legal, accepted in any way? You know? No, well, it was never talked about. So it was, was never ever exist. mentioned at school. It didn't yeah. exist. It was completely blanketed. 
Um, so not even between course, your friends, though. There was, how, you know, how did you know that others might be? How did you know to play just, with that just person? Just sort of um, looking at the way they behaved, mannerisms, yeah. and some some of the speech as well. But of course, by that time in the um, late fifties, uh, we had. Uh, radio programs like Beyond Our Can or Round the Horn, Round the Horn, w- yeah. which had the um, Sandy and Jules and things. I thought I used to sit there on Sunday afternoon doing my homework in the in the garden shed with the radio on, listening to this lot and thinking, yeah, there are people yeah. like that. Um, but I, I sort of I didn't um, empathise with them exactly because I didn't speak like that and yes. I didn't live in London and it seemed from the radio that they all were in London yeah. but uh, yeah that, that's and that was the, the sort of second bit of my sexual education was listening to things it's, like that Kenneth Williams was part of your sexual it's education almost, yeah, yeah it's almost unbelievable now, it, it is almost unbelievable yes it's funny isn't it how you know you, know, you can go on the internet and find out all about it in 30 seconds flat yeah and then, you know, and all I had um, was things like um, John Inman in the 70s and Larry Grayson. So well, yeah. we still only had camp men as the, as the whole, yeah. you know, the, um, I forgot the word and, now, the example. And, and Danny LaRue. Danny LaRue. The, yeah. Ecky Thumb, yeah. yeah, crumbs. Yeah. Yes, he, he, was, could, he was waning by the time I got to, uh, to be adulthood, yeah, I think. Was, uh, yeah, there were some, some lovely uh, TV programmes in, in those days, but... I when I was watching them, and most of the time we're still still at home. Um, never knew whether to show interest in them or yes. or to sort of what a load of rubbish yes. sort of thing or, yeah. or whatever. But um, you know the the repeats that come on now, I sort of just sit there and roar with laughter. It's gorgeous. But they were cringe work making some. There were anything. <laughs> Anything that was <laughs> sex in front of your parents at the time, though, yeah. wasn't it? You know, really, just, <laughs> even a soap opera in the you know the eighties, the Brookside and EastEnders, and you think I just can't sit here, and it's just yeah, it's, they yeah. were probably thinking well, the same. Well, you know, the, we we never uh, parentally we never spoke about sex. Yeah, um, you know, it's just never mentioned at all. God, it's, it seems strange these days when I mean I know people that have got kids and the there's uh, a, a lovely family that I know down in Staffordshire, and they just openly talk about yeah. it in front of the, the three sons. And it's like, you want another box of, box of tissues in your bedroom? <laughs> God, can you imagine your mother or my mother saying that to us? Definitely you, not. You'd rather Absolutely die, wouldn't you? Not at all. Yeah. You'd die of embarrassment oh, you would. on the floor. I know, and it's, it's all over. It's everywhere. Everything now, isn't it? It's so open. So yeah. you're a boy with desires, you know, yeah. it's the early 50s. How are those desires being met in any way, shape or form? Manually. <laughs> and that doesn't mean once a year. <laughs> the other thing was in the mid-teens, I was uh, sent by my parents to do ballroom dancing lessons. Oh, okay. Uh, so looking back, it was clearly they were trying to get me to hook up with... Uh, a young lady a nice or two lady. Or three. Didn't work. Strangely didn't work. Okay. So, and then of so course, where did you go right from at, there then? Well, right at the end of that, of course, uh, came A-levels. Right. But then I think I was 19 when I finally left school. And that was what, um, late late 50s we on now? 
about 61. 61. So, and then um, the world, the outside world is starting to change a bit there. 60s, you know, did it feel any different to you? Um, not really, because, I mean, first of all, spending all my time in Macclesfield and then with all the homework and the rest of it, I didn't see much of the outside yeah. world at all. I mean, the, the highlight is to be holidays. We usually went to stay with cousins in South London. When I was 10, I actually made a trip on my own. On your own? Got on the, yeah, we put on the train in Macclesfield and wow. uh, got, to, got to London, crossed London, went to Charing Cross, got the train out the south side uh, as a 10-year-old. Not Flip. a 10-year-old, they would let them out the front door. Flipping heck. So um, really, until I could drive, I hadn't seen much of the world at all. And then when I started driving, of course, I made the occasional foray into uh, into Manchester so and started seeing things. Where did you go and what did you see? Well, only the Union Rembrandt. There was yeah. a club in Deansgate as well. Yep. In fact, I went there a few years later when I got a motorbike because it was, it was, it was a leather club there as well. I was going to say, a man in leather but turned up, we, black leather we, we, motorbike. We're ju- jump, jumping forward a bit in history there. Yes. Um, and that's okay. But the, 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 when I left school, I actually joined a, um, an Am- Amdram group and I did, in fact, I had my first real encounter with somebody from that. Okay. They, they were t- just talking and then there was somebody who obviously was interesting, interested. Yeah. And we, uh, yeah, we, we went out one night and uh, experimented. Ha! <laughs> Around Sully Macclesfield? Well, in the countryside, yeah. Macclesfield, yeah. 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 Brilliant stuff. Um, and that, that was, uh, you know, some of the first experimental... Uh, lessons as it shall we say um but then the real education started or information really started uh when i was 21 yeah which is, you know by 21 most most kids these days have been at it for what <laughs> 10 years or well they, li- they like to tell us they have yeah yeah and yeah. there was i not hardly know, knowing anything about yeah. it anyway so on the 21st birthday i was given I said, do you want to party or do you want to go and stay with your cousins in America? I know where I'm going. Um, yeah. So uh, Manchester Airport one Saturday, jumped on a plane. Hey, listen, and- you know, this. keep telling me the years because this is, again, this is early 60s again. This is 64. This is 1964. You see, look at this. I, I can add up. Um, so it's not just like going to the airport and jumping on a plane. This, it's yeah. such a different experience. You know, you'll have, well, you'll have been smoking in the reception and, and you didn't have to take your shoes off at the security uh, gate, did you? Oh, you know? yeah. I mean, there's there's no, uh, you know, there were people smoking in the plane. I, I, I've never really smoked. And give a, I smoked about 20 cigarettes in my whole life. <laughs> and uh, I don't like it. It gets in my eyes. And, oh, oh uh, it's a nightmare. You smell. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I went off and stayed with these uh, with these cousins in, in Washington, D.C. So okay. I flew to... Um, to uh, New York. In yeah. fact, I landed at JFK yeah. just after it had been renamed because the year before, of course, JFK had been uh, assassinated. Of course, 63. Yeah. So uh, flew, then flew down to Washington, met these cousins. I'd never seen them before. But when I got out of the plane, looked across the tarmac, 
and there was a woman that looked like the double of my mother and a lad that looked like double of me. I thought, yeah, they, they're the same family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so we uh, had, had a whale of a time. We got a month off work. The father was the president <laughs> of an insurance company or something like that, and they had their own aircraft. No. So, um, you know, we used to fly around to different places. When Whenever the father went to a business meeting, uh, the son and myself, we said, you lads want to come with us, and we, we just go with him and yeah. uh, the different places. One night, because we, wherever we stopped, they got a car as well, and uh, the, the lad and myself went out one night in, in the car, and we're driving around this town, and because of typical American town, all square blocks, keep turning left and you come back on yourself. Yeah. And uh, noticed other cars were doing exactly the same thing. Um, kept going around, and Chris was as straight as a die, so he's looking at all these birds, and they're all open top. It's middle of summer. Yeah. All, the, all the tops are down. And uh, this, a car came alongside me, and the two lads in it was leant across and said, you want a bit of fun? <laughs> Just like that? Just like that. I, I, I said, and Chris said, what are they asking? I said, oh, they've just been <laughs> rude. So and it, we, I thought, ah, how can I get out and go over there? <laughs> but, uh, and this, it was just a big cruising episode going round and round and round this town. Yeah. And... Uh, that stuck in my brain, and we'll come to that in a few minutes. So did you, did you, I wonder, did you get out of the car and did you get in their car? No, oh. I, had to stay, I had to stay with Chris. He was looking, he was looking for, for birds. For birds. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, despite the fact he got a girlfriend already, oh, but okay. that didn't stop him. Yes. The American um, so dream for you. The American dream, yeah. We, we uh, had, a, had a, a, very, a very interesting, a very, very educating time. Yes, I can um, imagine. And how long were you out there anyway? It's just over about five, I think it's four, five, five, it may have been six weeks. And I thought it was four, but it's longer than okay. that. And carried on at work. And one day I was driving home and I picked a lad up from, there was thumbing, somebody I knew from church. You used to see hitchhikers, didn't you? Oh, all the time, yeah. And I knew I this guy. So I it. said, yeah. I, I, I gave him a lift home. And what were, and let me set me scene. Where, what were we driving at this point? Is it something sophisticated? Um, it was an ex-post office van. <laughs> Did you put seats quid. in the back as well? Because my dad had one like that. And he went, no. yeah, you, you'd have to pay tax on it because it had no yeah, seats in it. Yeah, you put seats and windows in. Yeah, so yeah, or something. It, yeah. it had a windscreen that wound out, no heater. And in the winter, I used to put a paraffin heater in the back to keep warm. Crumbs. <laughs> I only had it for 12 months and then I, I upgraded. But um, this this night I, I picked this lad up yes. and was taking him back and we came behind another car. He said, you ought to watch that bloke in that car in front. He gave me a lift the other night and he started touching me up. Note, makes and, note of uh, registration thought, number. Make a quick note of registration <laughs> number, yeah. <laughs> Wait, ooh, what's that car again? Could I recognise took him? him? Took him home and uh, anyway, <laughs> a couple of nights later, I saw this car, so I give it a little flash on the headlights. And then, it, were you just nights, driving around randomly at this point? No, then? this was going to and from work. Oh, uh, okay, cool. He was, he was on the same commuter run. Right, okay. And... Um, uh, a few nights later, he did the same thing. He, he pulled over and I pulled over and uh, he was much older than me. Yeah. But um, we did have an introduction to um, sexual activities, shall we say. Marvellous. 
And of course, that he, he mentioned about other people in Mucklesfield. Wow. And, and also about um, a pub. Oh, okay. Because that's what we and, need, isn't it? Somewhere yeah, to go. And uh, there's, there's a pub. It's still there. It's called the Waters Green Tavern. And in the 60s, uh, I think it was Tuesday night, was a gay night. Oh, wow. And uh, it's got quite busy, but we, the the police were always mooching around because it was still illegal. Yes, of course. The first couple of years, ago, yep. was until, um, was it 67, wasn't it? And then we know that even making it legal didn't change overnight anyone's um, opinions of it, did it? Oh, no, that's right. You know, we weren't um, suddenly accepted with open arms, were we? No, no. So there's a lot of, um, well, what do you call it? Not uh, force majeure. Um, argent provocateur. Argent provocateur. Are we talking about toilets or just yeah. in the pubs yeah. or what? In, uh, well, in the, in the toilets, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, so that, that was something you always had to be very, very wary of. And like public <clears> toilets <throat> around Macclesfield or just in the in the pub? No, it's in, in, not in the pub, but round roundabout. Yeah. Yeah, because there's one right across the road from the pub, yeah. Right, road. okay, yeah. Um, so life went on for the next um, few years, gradually uh, building up a friendship with different people, particularly from, from the pub. Um, and uh, occasionally disappearing off into Manchester, we, you know, somebody said, "Oh, Friday night, we'll pick you up at the outside such and such a place, and, and we'll go into town." So I start, started then mixing with crowds in uh, back in Manchester, and wow. you know, learning a bit more, being educated a bit more. Ed- ed- educated, I can imagine. <laughs> uh, can you uh, yes. <laughs> I'd imagine you were one of the youngest to going then, were you? At that Probably, point? Probably, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Bit so of quite chicken. popular. Yeah, a bit of chicken. <laughs> was it called chicken then? Oh, yeah. Was it? Yeah. yeah. So we're like early oh, 70s, aren't we now? Yeah, we did. Um, no, late 60s. Late 60s. In fact, mid, still mid 60s. Oh, yeah. he's still, oh so, um, wow. So we're still not legal. Yeah, still not. Um, not legal at that time. In yeah. sixty-seven. Um, because yeah. they had that. Um, what's it called? Polari. Yes. Look at the lallies on there. That big butchoma over there. He's TBH. Yes. Well, TBH. He's WTBH. You know, <laughs> wanting to be had. <laughs> I only know VWE, but that's contact ads later. And of course, we had the the handkerchiefs in the back pockets. Yes. Hanky codes. Which yeah, were you? So were you, you favourite? Did you? Were you? Did you have any favourite handkerchiefs yourself, sir? Um, <laughs> now you're going, I'm not telling you. No, I'm not telling you. <laughs> there wasn't a red one in the left back pocket then or anything like that. Uh, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, leave, I'll leave the listener to look hanky codes up themselves. But I can't remember left up. Red wait, ones and blue ones and black ones and, and all sorts and of yellow ones. There was a whole range, wasn't there? There yeah. was like 20 of them. Yeah, yeah. It's like sending, putting flags on a ship Semaphore. to give a message. <laughs> and which, yeah, but which way is which? If it's in your back left, were you the giver or the receiver? I think you 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 butch if it was on the left and the receiver if it was on the right. So we, we sort of got <laughs> I've got a whole new image now. I didn't know what got, 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 got through the the, uh, the middle bit of the sixties, and I I did did end up with a a boyfriend, oh, okay, uh, sort of a regular boyfriend. Yeah. Um, 
who was a chef. Okay. And uh, we had a holiday in Ireland. And then I found out he got another boyfriend. He was playing two of us along all at the same Dirty time. Hooer. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that sort of finished. Um, by which time we were in 1968. So we were legal by then. God. And, but only uh, over 21, of course. Over, only over 21, which, of course, I was. Yeah. Um, and then in 1969, yeah. um, I was at loose end. I'd, I'd changed jobs, and when I changed job, I bought a new car. Okay. I bought a brand-new Hillman Sport. Ooh. It cost me 450 quid. So I started driving around Macclesfield, uh, looking what was off, and the... the, the there were quite a few other people in this in the, in the middle of summer. Yeah. And uh, one day I was going round and coming the other way was a, a, an MGV with his nice. top down. Nice. And uh, a blonde-haired youth sitting in it. I thought, hmm, that's a bit of all right. Anyway, yep. I'm a few times. And, uh, how many? So how many? Uh, I just need to know more. How did you get? To, how did you know to follow each other? Did you just try it on and think I'll follow him for a bit, see if he well, reciprocates? Yeah, just, just kept driving around, and then took a little flash on the headlights oh. a couple of nights later, and then the next week. Oh, so this is uh, this is over a period of time. Oh yeah, over a few oh, weeks. Oh, okay. And, uh, then the uh, you know the, it's sort of one night, and you know waved again, and yeah. he waved back, and then. The next night, um, I was driving, driving along and noticed right behind me this time. Yeah. And we went round, and then I thought, right, here goes. And I went off out into the country, and he followed me. And uh, I could take you to the very, very spot where we stopped. Which road? Then, briefly, which road is it? It was up near Tegsnose. Okay. Mm-hmm. On the way to, to Buxton. Yep, I know that and, road very uh, well. Me and the Captain Fiddle were best friends. Yeah, and uh, I got out, he got out, and I thought, is he going to punch me on the nose or what? Because he's quite, he's a bit bigger than me. Yeah. And he said, uh, what are you after then? I said, probably the same as you. (laughs) And we were then together for nearly 51 years. So how did you, that's brilliant. How did you get from, that's, you've just missed the whole like kind of, yeah, 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 yeah. Then we're together 50 years. You know, there was, what was Tell me, you know, I don't. I mean, I'm not like in for the in for the yeah. nitty gritty. But how did you get from there to being together? Was it just well, we, one we night had, that you we, decided to be together? We, or we 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 looked at each other. We had a little chat in the car, and uh, we said, "Do you want to come around to my house on Friday night?" This was a uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, tell you, it was, the, it was the week that men landed on the moon. Wow. Men landed on the moon. I think Tuesday. Yeah. And we met on the. Wednesday, was it Wednesday? I should know this. It's in my diary, 23rd. And um, we we agreed to meet on the Friday because his house um, was empty on Friday because his mother used to go and stay with his sister. And we, uh, so we met up at his house on the Friday night. And we... Bob's your uncle. Finally woke about midday on the Saturday, completely bloody exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing! And uh, yeah, we were together just just short of fifty-one years. Wow! I mean, we weren't completely monogamous. Well, that autumn we went to London, stayed with my relatives. Yeah, 
and um, we went out to dinner with one of uh, my hobbies, or what be, who became my husband, yeah. um, friends in, in London. He, he was uh, a Lloyd's name, and he also knew a guy called John Schlesinger. That name rings a bell. Film producer. Yeah, okay. And yep. uh, we went out to dinner, and John said, there's a new film just come out. It's called Midnight Cowboy. You guys ought to go and see it. So we went to see it. So the theme tune out of that, Everybody's Talking, became our tune. Ah. When Alan died and we were going under COVID to the church, I had burnt a CD of it and stuck it in the, in the car. And we drove through the village here with the windows wound down and that, the volume turned up as high as it could go and it played three times because we, we, we had planned a funeral and it was, was going to be played in the church. Mm. Anyway, we drove, finally turned into the churchyard and the vicar was standing there and he said, bloody hell, you've actually managed it. And he heard Midnight Cowboy playing. Yeah, everybody's talking, right? Wow. Anyway, that was, that we chopped you suddenly jumped to it's 50 fine. odd years. So, let's, uh, so back, to, well, you were the one going back, not monogamous, and I, don't, I was wondering what you were going to do yeah. to the Midnight Cowboy. Well, yeah, yeah but no, we, we, we were all right then. Then I think the following year we went on a cruise, and um, he'd been on cruises before. Um, so <laughs> within minutes, he was copying off with the ship's doctor. <laughs> Who we knew from a previous experience. Oh, I see. Okay. So, uh, what was good for the goose is good for the gander. So, I, uh, yeah, we, we 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 used to dilly dally a bit during the day, and then we were always back together at night. Did people just see two men who were friends, or are we yeah. talking about you were out as a relationship? What was the no the, outward the, appearance uh, of you? I mean, initially, I used to come over here because this was this was Alan's house. Ah. Um, I used to come over every sort of like Friday night and Saturday night, and then it got to Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night, and I used to go home on Monday, Tuesday, and then it, it gradually moved until I was only going home for my tea. Yeah. After about two, two or three years, so I, I gradually moved out, um, and and started living here, uh, but it was the the neighbours either side. Never bothered. They were perfectly friendly. And, um, in fact, I mean, when we had dogs, the dogs used to live in next door, nearly bordered, lived, they lived in, <laughs> in this house. Um, so, yeah, we got on with all the neighbours. Nobody ever bothered, never bothered us, never, we never sort of criticised or made mm -hmm. comment. Um, everybody is quite friendly. And how, how's your um, mum and dad in all this, though? If you, you're disappearing off for nights on end. I think that they realised what was going on. Hmm. Never talked about it. I never came out to them officially. Yeah. I know that my dad had, he was with some some other friends who uh, I knew the son of these people. And it um, said, I think it's the usual thing, when's your Ron getting married? Are you courting um, yet? Are you, is he courting oh, yet? Well, oh, that. no. I think, and my dad said, oh, he's shy. <laughs> That's how my dad got around it. <laughs> yeah. My grandma used to ask that. Is he our, is our David? That's my real name. Our David Courting. And all my brothers and my parents go, oh, no, I think he's just really busy doing his studies. I was like, I never studied in my life. I was just out getting cock <laughs> But we didn't talk about well, that. I, yes. 
Yeah. Do you think she knew? She must have known. Yeah. <laughs> but so, it was just never talked Al- about. Alan's mother knew because okay. not long after we'd been together, I remember him saying to him, I talked to my, my mum the other day, and she said, you love Ron, don't you? Aww. So Alan's mother had spotted it straight away. Yeah. You can tell, can't you? Really, you, you know, we all think we've hidden it so well, and actually, we're desperate to find out how well we hadn't hidden it, and how yeah. if people were talking about it behind our backs, that would have made life a lot easier, you know, yeah. coming out or something. Well, right, yeah, and this is um, what I find um, strange that people these days are still frightened of coming out, mm. uh, but there are people who are still terrified of what the family might say yeah. or. Um, what 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 will be said at work? Will they be ridiculed and things like that? Um, and funnily enough, I mean, I I never really openly came out until the day that Alan died. Right. And when that happened, and that was only in 2020. Gosh. Um, I thought I've lost everything now. I don't give a shit. Um, I've lost everything. Therefore, I don't care who knows. And if they don't like it, tough. And uh, the, 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 certainly the people in my last and the, probably the longest job, which was a, a government post, um, that they soon got to know about it. And they were very, very supportive. Yeah. All, all, I mean, a lot of them said, oh, we're coming to the funeral. Uh-huh. But he couldn't, of course, because he died on March the thirty, Friday the thirteenth of March. Oh wow, that's twenty. That's the beginning of that was wasn't that the first Friday of lockdown or something? Yeah. Wow. Um, so, although we planned the, we planned the funeral not long after we met. Um, You're organised. So we couldn't. Oh yeah, we we bought a grave and everything. Really, a, t- yeah. a, a, a double plot for both of you. Yeah, and. Wow. Uh, so that's why we couldn't have a proper funeral service, just a burial. Yeah. Um, but we've got a very nice stone there, and it's got um, his mother went in the bottom. He's he's in next, and there's then I'm going in the top, and on the gravestone there's a blank bit near the top, and that's for me. Wow. And do you think you still will? Still will what? Go in the top because you know. Yeah. You've moved on a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, I'll show up there. It's uh, a nice spot anyway. <laughs> Whether or not them two are turning in their grave now. You said yeah. with your planning the funeral, was it COVID related or was it something else? No, no, it was. It uh, it always had odd, odd bits of illness and mm. things. And uh, about ten years before, it had a big bout of suddenly was taken ill with septic arthritis. Ooh. And, uh, yeah, so he was in hospital about two months with that and managed to survive it. But the slightest infection, he'd, he'd end up in hospital right. with sepsis. And I got very good at diagnosing it. But uh, and he, we got it nearly always happened at Christmas. And the number of Christmases he spent in hospital was, was sort of like mind-bending. But we got, got through the 1919 Christmas a new year, and we said, bloody hell, we had a Christmas at home, but not, no hospital. And then he had his birthday on February the 6th, and a week later, um, 
Oh, I don't feel very well. Oh, oh no. can't breathe. Oh, I'm all shivery. He was starting again. Got him into hospital. Came out a few days later, but always before he'd come out with a big fistful of antibiotics and steroids and things. And then he'd been all right again. But this time he came out with nothing, which surprised me a bit. Anyway, a week later, um, he, he said, oh, I'm cold. Turn the heating on. I turned the heating on. I'm sort of sitting there. It's pouring off me. And uh, I said, you're starting with a with sepsis again. Oh, no, I'm not. And they'll be all right. Anyway, an hour later, he was, he was, the bed was bouncing up and down. He was just shaking so much. So I managed to get him into hospital. And uh, I spent the, the first night there, then went back the following day, and he seemed a bit better. Went the Sunday, and was just walking in, and the, the doctor popped out. He said, uh, can I have a word with you? Um, I said, yeah, what's going on there? He took me in a private room and said, um, Alan's going to die. Um, I said, what? They said his, his, yes, his kidneys are failing. So why can't you give him dialysis? Um, because his heart won't stand it. Oh, no. And what about antibiotics? Um, well, that'll finish his kidneys off completely. So what's going to happen? And he said he'll slip into a coma and die. Wow. And so, of course, I was... <clears throat> Yeah, he went there every three times a day. Mm -hmm. I'd been visiting on the Thursday night with a lady that used to clean for us, and uh, I dropped her off back in Bollington and I'd said to her, I'm going back to hospital. She said, why? I said, I've just got a feeling. So I went back and uh, spoke to the, the sister, and she said, we might as well stay. I think she knew what was going to happen. Mm. So uh, I got into bed and we, we slept together. I, I woke up in the morning. I, I managed to give him a tiny little bit of breakfast. And uh, I was holding him um, with my arms around him at 10 past 11 in the morning. I felt his heart stop. And uh, that was that. It doesn't, well, people say it gets easier. I suppose it sort of does. But, mm. you know, every time I come in the back door, I still look through the house to see him sitting in the in his chair in the front room. Yeah. So it's it's always very difficult coming back here. And part of you won't want to make it get any easier. No, this is, um, this is it. But, um, you know, and then, of course, I, uh, <laughs> to, to compound the, the felony, you know, last year I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Oh, Ron, flipping heck. <laughs> yeah, so I had some excellent treatment at the Christie in Manchester. And, uh, yeah, so I've, my uh, blood count is undetectable at the moment. Oh, good. So that's very positive, but it's unfortunate that one of the that the the, the uh, three monthly injections that I'm having, uh, shall we say, <laughs> stop me being a man. Yes, 
impotency. Yeah, yeah. and uh, it's bad enough when you've lost your partner, but then you think mm, perhaps I might find another partner sometime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then you've got you to can't. explain to people that you can't do anything. Well, you can't do anything active, and. Uh, and are you yes. able to? I know, I know, you know, I know where the prostate is, but I don't yeah. know about the treatment. So, you know, are you able to be passive? Yeah. Oh, at, yeah. At that point, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate in a way that that's the only side effect. I mean, some people have terrible side effects yeah. from it. Um, some people have no side effects at all and can carry on sexually just the same. Uh-huh. Um, the only thing that's happened to me is that where. Uh, the radiation shoots through through your hips. Initially, it made walking quite difficult because right. it destroys the tissue in the joints there. Uh, okay. So that's that's grown back, and I'm, I'm currently on the half, well, three quarters of the way through the, the couch potato to five k thing. So I'm doing doing running, and at the same, I'm in a gym three four times a week. And is that out um, of necessity, or is that you've gone? Actually, no, I've just the, stared the, death in the face. I'm I'm living as long as I can. A bit, a bit of a bit of a bit of both. Mentally, it's been been very very difficult. But I had enormous support from a group called Silver Rainbows. Mm. In fact, it was when the, the day that Alan died, um, I stayed with him for about four hours, and no doctors or nurses came. And early afternoon thought, I'm just going to have to go. I don't know what to do. So um, I said goodbye to him and walked out of the hospital. I was completely alone. Mm-hmm. We've got no no family. And uh, in the entrance was an LGBTQT display. And right in the middle of it was a leaflet for silver rainbows. And I thought, I wonder what that is. So I picked it up, had a look at it, and took it home read it again and it said you know if you're if you're old and gay phone this number i started meeting up with with a little walking group ah, and, um, brilliant um i started helping on in fact last last year helped on chester pride mm. which was the first one actually i'd ever done because i've never been out enough yeah. to go to a pride event e- even done... whilst together for 50 years you wouldn't you never class yourself as out in that respect no, because Alan had his own business, um, um, fabricating things, you know, welding bits of aluminium and steel together and bashing, you know, very sort of butch trade. Um, and I suppose, really, with all the sort of people that he dealt with, which, you know, were, were all yes. butch traders. <laughs> um I don't think he would have. Been, he didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Um, being out like that, um, because one thing that I always dreamed of was being able to walk down through the village arm in arm. Mm. And we did in the end, but I was holding, virtually holding him up because mm. he couldn't walk very well to get to the doctors. It's funny, so isn't it? When you we take, were, when you put it in that context, no one would bat an eyelid, but you'd no. feel like everyone's going to look at you if you just. Uh, put your arm around him otherwise. Just hand in hand down the, down the village, mm. supporting him. And while he's got a crutch in one hand, mm. that is a different thing. It was like um, a few years before, um, I had an interest in leather. And uh, if you walk around Bollington dressed in leather, everybody would look at you. Um, but if you've got a crash helmet with you, 
they that's don't. Not too bad. Yeah, as long as you're not wearing one of their mule caps, I don't really. I've never. I've, they've always put me off. There's a. It's like if you want to get rid of an erection, put a mule cap on, and it's. Oh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's like it's the leather peak cap with the with the. Um, the peak is yeah. kind of dipped down. It's usually studded as well, isn't it? There's, there's yeah, quite... my, mine isn't. What, what about your chaps? Do you have those as well? No. <laughs> never, I never got bold enough to wear chaps. Oh, did you not? I used to do it in rubber instead. So mm-hmm. it was... Because, yeah, rubber was a... a I, I never rub, I never, never got on with leather and then I discovered rubber and skin tight yeah. clothing, you know, from cycling as a kid. Yeah. And then I met someone who was, who made rubber suits and I actually had a pair of rubber chaps at one point. So, mm. which mm. was fine until I developed an allergy to the rubber. And at the time I was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing, you know, harness and these chaps and I took them off and I had this big red X across my body and I had this white arse and the rest of my legs were completely covered in, hives and stuff so i thought i don't think i'll be going out in the rubber scene again you're listening to the romp podcast to get involved yourself you can email me at podcast at romp.media you've obviously spent a lot of time around medical uh, professionals and the nhs how over the years how were you dealt with by them oh that's a, a story and it's and uh, it's and it's on right um initially it was very difficult mm. Um, you know, we, you, you could go in just as ordinary um, outpatients and things, but when Alan started getting really ill, um, you know, pile him into a, an ambulance and then I'd follow on behind. So they, he'd be in A&E. I'd turn up a few minutes later, maybe half an hour later in the car and uh, go into reception and say, come to visit Alan. Quite often they'd say, "What really? What relationship are?" He said, "No, just a friend." Oh, we can't go in. We're not allowed visitors yet. Um, yeah, but no, can't. It got very, very difficult. Um, so, what would it be now? Eleven years ago, uh, when you could get civil partnerships, mm-hmm. I said to him that we're going to let's get a civil partnership because it's going to make. Whoever, whichever one of us dies first, it's going to make it much so much easier for the other one. Yeah. So we got a civil partnership, which we subsequently upgraded upgraded to a <laughs> wedding. Uh, we didn't have any ceremony. Alan just did not like ceremony at all. I mean, I would have gone to Hawaii and done it on the beach in a tuxedo and all the rest of it with your flowers around your neck. But, yeah. No, no speeches, no party, no, 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 no. So it was just like sign a bit of paper and that was it. Anyway, so the the when when the, the next time we went to hospital, you know, they said, "Oh, I'm a civil partner." That got made a bit easier. Good. The in fact, once we got married, it, it I, I took very great delight because there was somebody on who was really, really sort of, you know, "Who are you? What do you want?" I said. I'm his husband, very in a very loud voice, so all the waiting room could hear. And I want to see him now. And, oh yes, right, okay, this way, sir. Brilliant. Um, Makes so a difference, I, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's why I've told several of my um, friends and acquaintances that are in gay relationships. I said. Get yourself a civil partnership, at least, mm. if not a marriage. Because you can still get them. You don't have to have the wedding, do you? 
we could do it will make life so much easier when anything happens to either of you yeah legal protection um, i mean do we, yeah. looking back you know in the, in the 40s 50s did you think we'd ever have that kind of thing no nah. no no i mean you're just lucky to stay out of jail really yeah, absolutely particularly with the policemen in the public toilets yeah yeah it's um been an interesting life there's there's one one incident in the in the middle of it all that um of course in the 80s um up to the eight up to the middle 80s it was just a big free-for-all yes you know if you if you <clears throat> met somebody and you fancied it you just jump into bed and away you go yeah that was it i mean um i'm talking to a, a, another gay gay friend and he said uh, there's a strange disease started going round. Um, he said because he'd just been on holiday in Spain, and he said there's there's one or two people got it over there. Wow! And nobody seems to know what it is, but people are getting very very ill with it. And of course that was HIV. Mm-hmm. And a month later, well, we one night. He and I did have a little, because um, he used to come with me to this leather club on the back of a motorbike. And we got back here and uh, had a little performance, mm-hmm. shall we say. Mm-hmm. Totally unprotected, of course, in those days. Yeah. And when he'd finished, he said, oh, by the way, I've just been diagnosed with this new disease. Wow. How about that then? Afterwards, and actually After- telling you at all. Afterwards, yeah. Fucking um, hell. Yeah. So you can imagine what I felt then. Well, there was no testing. There was no way you could go. You couldn't tell no. anyone. You couldn't tell anybody. Bloody hell. tell Alan. I just don't, oh, God. sort of went into murder. Um, about two months later, this guy was dead. And I kept looking at everything. Am I, am I developing any spots or yeah, yeah. whatever? Paranoid about anything. And I, I kept finding reasons why, because I mean, we, Alan and I used to share everything. And uh, the sort of changing towels and whatnot. Because mm. so he said if you touch door handles. You never or, knew. No one knew, did they? No, it's a bit no. like COVID. You know, you, yeah. you breathe, breathe in the same room and you've caught it. Yeah. And uh, so for a quite a long time, probably a couple of years. Um, it went on like that. Wow. And I think probably at least two years. Um, and loads of excuses why we couldn't have sex. But uh, yeah, that was uh, my sort of midlife crisis in a way. Wasn't it just? And uh, it was fortunate that one, we used to own the Manchester Evening News and one night there was um, uh, an article, a little article about Withington Hospital mm. was doing testing. Oh, the gun, I used to go to that gun clinic. Yeah. And uh, so I found an excuse and took myself off one night. God. I found it. Yeah. And had a test. Uh, and it, 
it took days to come back, didn't it? Or weeks? It took a week. Yeah. They said, come back in seven days and we'll give you the results. The day that I was going to go back was absolutely horrendous. Mm-hmm. I I was just shaking like a leaf, um, making all sorts of excuses why, you know, why I was feeling ill, I got flu, uh, and uh, I, I got in the car and drove over there. Mm-hmm. And uh, they kept, it was a bit like when they're announcing the winner of Strictly or something, and the result is... And did they pause for a long time? <laughs> that you've not got it. Thank God for that. Well, I, I just broke down. I bet you did. I, 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 it was a, 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 just. I, I can't describe the emotion mm. um, after all that, that that waiting. And how many years was uh, the wait? I should have to look it up. I thought two or three, but mm, on reflection, I bet it was more like eight. It was it was a long time because it was for a long, long time. Nobody knew what was causing it, or or and then they, they had to develop tests. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you were seen having a test, it all got reported, and you couldn't get jobs, you couldn't get insurance, mortgages, blah, blah, blah. nothing. Yeah. So. I mean, I just had to hope that I'd not got it because nothing was developing. Um, but Yes, yeah, so you must have kind of over eight years thought, well, I'm not dead. Yeah. Because it was well, a death it, sentence, wasn't it, then? Yeah, you, and, you know. and, but nobody sort of knew whether it, it would sort of sit there and fester in your body and then suddenly yeah. erupt like <laughs> yeah. five years later or ten years later or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I've had... I mean, even then abstaining I still carried on having t- regular testing just to, just to make sure you know you could yeah no no it was a good thing to do I used to go for yeah. regular testing um, um, but yeah that's a, that so that, that was a, a middle a middle chunk in my life in the in the 80s was uh, 80s to yeah probably 85 to 90 wow maybe early 90s which kind of moves us on to to while we were in the HIV AIDS sphere, because yeah. I, I we had a call the other week and I've always said, oh, the stories are about before grinder, so it's about before smartphones. And then you go, ah, oh, but I must just tell you about going on, I don't know, romper or so, I don't know what you call, uh, and um, getting prep. So and I was like, yeah. whoa, I and mean, that's an interesting story for a man who's nearly eighty years old to yeah. be going on prep is a bit weird. Well, it's, it was well, a, yeah, unexpected. Too- yeah, um, you look quite. Yeah. You look quite pleased. <laughs> yeah, because um, you said there was a bit of a, a bit of a trauma getting you on that. Yeah, I sort of after Alan had died um, for the first year, I was just in a daze, and I thought, well, and at that time, of course, I'd not not been diagnosed with cancer, so I was still quite active, and I thought. Well, if I go on Grinder and Growler, I might find somebody. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, well, if I do catch somebody, um, I want to take all precautions, mm-hmm. not only by using condoms, but also just in case. 
you know, from the mouth or whatever. Yeah. So uh, I started trying to get on prep because I'd heard about it, but it was all very experimental and it was virtually impossible to yes. get hold of. Um, but I found out where the, the clinic was near to where I was at the time and just marched in. Wow. You know, I, tried, I tried phoning up and couldn't get through, you know, they sort of all our operators are busy, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they said, yes, what do you want? I said, I want to talk to somebody about Pratt. Oh, well, we'll you have to get an appointment, blah, blah, blah. And this guy came walking down the corridor and uh, he said, uh, what, what are you after? I said, Pratt. He said, oh, well, I'm the doctor. Come in this room and I'll see you. I've got a few minutes. Talk to me about it, about my sexual activities or what I was hoping to get to get up to. Complete, frank, unbiased, non-judgmental, superb discussion. And um, they said, right, um, two ways of taking it, two ways of taking it. If you are likely to just have uh, casual, casual affairs, casual affairs, then take one a day. But there's a so-called, I think it's called the French method. Uh, if you've got a promise <laughs> on a Saturday night, yeah. you you take two Saturday morning and then have your wicked way, then have another one Sunday morning, another one Monday morning. Because I, I was I was amazed when you said that. I thought you were, you were kind of like HIV drugs, because it is a yeah. form of antiretroviral drug, isn't it? Yeah. I thought you once you started it, there was no coming off it. And because it could, it could come back and it could start um, developing. But no, you can say you can just pop it when you need it, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's just like the morning after pill yeah. in a way. No. And I, I'm amazed by you, to be honest. You could have just sat at home on your big organ because uh, <laughs> the listener obviously can't see that large kind of. It, I would say, Wurlitzer type organ sat behind you. Yeah, it's, like, it is. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an electronic version of a. Big work. Pipe Excellent. Rooms. So you can ride up and down on that like they do at Blackpool. So you could have stayed home and you could have done nothing and you could have just played on that and watched Strictly on the telly and never left the house. I mean, it sounds just like my life. Um, but you've not. You've gone out and you've you've done all this. You've discovered stuff. You've gone on Grinder and Growler yeah. and, yeah. you know, and, and met a man or probably more than one, to be honest. <clears throat> no, well, I, uh, yeah, I'm fortunate that I did meet somebody. Um and we have a very loving relationship. Excellent. Um, although this person, unfortunately, isn't out. Yeah. And circumstances may dictate that you'll well, never come out. Mm. But, um, you know, we've got to enjoy the time. Whatever time we can get together, we, we do we do enjoy it. I love to say that. We do enjoy it. Thank you very much. Yes, um, <laughs> but and it's it's difficult, isn't it? It's just you know you're out, I'm out, we're out. It's but for people you know to not want to come out, we're going like come in. It, the water's lovely, but some people like you, we touched on earlier. Some people are really you know really still scared about well, it. Well, yeah, it's, I, 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 I'm disappointed in a way that. After all, what my generation's been through, yeah. and fighting, you know, not necessarily me, but the, what the organisations, Terence Higgins Trust, the, and, and all, all of, you know, the whole gambit of uh, organisations that have fought in Parliament and everywhere else for, for gay equality, that there are still people mm. who, even in, well, in mid midlife, are 
uh, feel that they're not able to come out. Yeah. They're frightened of what the family might say, frightened of, of what might happen at work. And to me, it's it's, it's horrible mm-hmm. because I, I think that in my case, I, I've almost wasted a lot of my life hiding from my true self, my authentic self. Um, I can look back not just with happiness of what I did achieve, but with a great deal of regret that I have had to hide my sexuality through the majority of my life. I mean, going back to the beginning in the defence industry and then uh, the other industries I've been involved in, um, and that people are still having to do that. It's so wrong. It's unbelievable. I've had no adverse comment from mm. anybody that I've ever known in my life that's no. still about, and particularly the, the, the guys that used to work with, I've met them on several occasions, and uh, they've all, all been very, very supportive. They've been very sympathetic with me for the loss of uh, Alan, mm. and uh, with some of them said, well, we guessed anyway. Yeah. yeah. Uh, just, we just never talked about it. So, you know, I could perhaps have spent another 10 or 20 years uh, as an out person mm-hmm. rather than hiding it all until 2020. Well, Ron, you've been a fantastic guest. Thank you so much for coming on today. And what I have asked you to do before I let you go and before we get to uh, how I got my lottery numbers, I've asked you to think of a couple of songs that we can put on the playlist. What is it that you've got for me? Yeah, well, there are two, actually. Because the the first one I've already mentioned, which is Everybody's Talking by Nilsson. Yeah. And the other we are one, all humming that in our heads now. Everybody's yeah. talking at me. That one, isn't it? It's um, If I Should Fall in Love Again. It's an old wartime song, but it's got beautiful, beautiful li- lyrics. If, if I should fall in love again, I'd fall in love with you again. Oh, bless. Um, and the various people sang it, and it's it's a gorgeous song, gorgeous lyrics, gorgeous tune. I shall add both of those to our playlist. Thank you very much for that. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. Now, before you go, we're going to play a game of how I got my lottery numbers. Now, I was a very sad person in the early 90s. I had, uh, this is in effect, a file of facts. And I decided uh, in my boring evening, sat at home because there was no internet, uh, to record... Um, in writing all of my shags from one to just happened to be one to 49. And then in the uh, mid nineties, the 93, they announced the lottery. We needed 49 numbers. I was like, right, how am I going to choose my numbers? This is how I'm going to choose my numbers. So I went through it and I, I'd, I'd ranked them one and got my got my numbers so what you've got to do and i'm going to tell you who this was because it's in here somewhere is you've got to pick a number between one and 49 if you've had it i'll go eh, eh, but i've only had one already and i'll tell you whether a whether it's a lottery number and b who they were and see if i can remember who they were so would you like to pick a number for one to 49 27 oh it's ooh. Not a lottery number. We know that much. 27. It isn't already chosen. In November 1993 was me me cottaging in uh, Alderley Edge car park toilets. Uh, and there were... I was I had a two CV at the time, so I, f- I drove up to the Oldley Edge <laughs> from uh, Nutsford, and I was living in Didsbury at the time. Went to there and then just hung around the outside of the car park for a bit, see what was going on. Had a look, noticed a couple of men coming and going, and I went in. Just kind of stood there. There's me, twenty three, looking 
gorgeous. And then these two these two blokes kind of almost fought over me with like pushing them <laughs> out of the way. And uh, I ended up going off with one, and he was called oh, I didn't know his name. I know I'm sure he was was he wasn't called Colin. That would be very strange. And he had <laughs> he had because it wasn't the same one. And he had uh, a Vauxhall Corsa, and we went off in, down a lane near near Old Ledge Car Parks and had sex in his Vauxhall Corsa. I don't know what his name was. So he's down as others because he was down as anonymous. So yeah, so that was a nice day out. Brilliant stuff. Oh, great. Well, that brings us to the end of Ron's podcast. Some fabulous stories and some some regrets, as you could hear, and perhaps some changes he wish he could have made throughout his life. But who knows, you can't go back. So if you've got a story you think people might be interested in around dating and gay life then do get in touch. I'm Murray. Email me at podcast at romp.media. I'll see you again in a few weeks' time.